Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we come again to look upon your word, we ask once more that you will open our eyes, that we may see you as you really are, that you will open our ears, that we may hear and understand the message of your truth to us, and that you will open our hearts, that we might receive that message, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it also. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We continue our study through the book of Romans. And we are now on chapter 6. It was my original intention to preach this morning on chapter 6 and tonight to preach on chapter 7. But plans change. And there was a little bit more in this than I had anticipated. So we're going to look at chapter 6 today. The first 14 verses this morning. And then the... the 15 to 23 this evening. So, I want to begin at Romans chapter 5, verse 20, and we'll read through to chapter 6, verse 14. The law was added so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> now, as we've uh, looked at Romans, we've uh, discovered as we went through its uh, 
previous chapters that Paul is laying out for us the gospel. He began in chapter 1, verse 16, and he has laid it out for us in, subsequent, in, the, in the subsequent chapters. He has detailed for us what it means for us to come into a right relationship with God, God the Creator, through the work of Jesus as he went to the cross. And he's been at pains to point out for us that this all comes about by, by faith alone. Not by law or by good works or by a mixture, but by faith. And this faith allows us to be at one with God. Then, as we went into chapter 5, he detailed what this, this new relationship we had with God would look like. Through the gospel, what it, what it means for humanity. And as we then come to chapter 6, it's very, very important then that we keep in mind the teaching that Paul has already given us in the second half of, of chapter 5. Remember, Paul had shown us there that the gospel, gospel was far bigger than just my own personal salvation. It was something that had cosmic consequences for all of human history. For the whole human race. The cross ushered in a new era for humanity, a new era of grace, where there was righteousness leading to eternal life, rather, of course, than sin and death and judgment under Adam. Becoming a Christian is entering a new kingdom, to be under a new sovereign reign, as it were, that of righteousness, that of life in Christ. And it's this understanding that Paul now expands upon in Romans chapter 6. For in Paul's mind, he has now moved from what it means to become a Christian through the work of Jesus to what it means to live as a Christian here and now. And he spells this out for us, chapter 6, 7, and 8. In, these in, this, in this chapter, chapter 6, we see Paul is answering a specific objection that he knows will be or maybe has already been raised against his gospel. And in, and in answering this objection, he paints for us a, a picture, a picture of what it is like to live as a Christian, what it's lived like to live as a Christian in the world here and now. Remember, as a Christian, if you are a Christian today, you have eternal life. It's not something that's just in the future. You have it now. You have passed from the reign of death in Adam to the reign of Christ. But the issue for us, for us is that if this is so, why are we still struggling? Why is there such a thing still as physical death? Why, is there, why do we struggle so with sin in our lives? And the answer to that, of course, is that because as we live here and now, we live in the overlap of the ages. We are still in Adam in the sense that we still suffer physical death. Or we still are part of a sin-sick world. Yet we know that in the future, when Christ returns, when he comes again, he will usher in his kingdom completely, fully, and we will reign with him. We live in the now but the not yet. 
the in-between period between Christ's two comings. The kingdom has come. Christ has come. He has died. He has rose again. The kingdom has begun. We have eternal life now through the work of the Holy Spirit. Yet we do not have it in its fullness. The kingdom has not come in its fullness. We wait for a complete and utter redemption, a complete redemption of not just ourselves, but the whole universe. The full benefits of the gospel have not yet been fully realized. And Paul will detail more about this in Romans chapter 8. But it's important that we keep in our minds as we look at Romans 6, that we, because if we don't understand that, well, then we could get some very dangerous and ultimately false ideas about what it means to live the Christian life and what we would expect it to be like here and now. To live in the overlap of the ages gives us great hope, gives us great freedom, as we shall see, but it also means we will have a great struggle. So there's two things I think we need to look at in terms of this, uh, these first 14 verses. Firstly, we will, we will look at how Christians have died to sin. And secondly, how Christians are alive to God. Died to sin and alive to God. So let's have a look. Now in chapter 5, verse 20, which we read earlier there, Paul says something there that to us here today seems perfectly normal. It's not unusual for us to hear it. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now that doesn't ring particularly spectacular with us, but to its original hearers, to those who heard this first, they would have been, of course, Jewish Christians, mixture you know, in Rome, they would have been astonished at this. For when they were growing up with an understanding of of religion, um, they knew that religion was meant to make people live better lives. Yet the gospel that Paul was preaching seemed to offer people forgiveness for their sins and yet the ability to do anything they wanted and get away with it. Their lives didn't have to change For if the grace of God increases more than sin, does that not mean then that we can sin as much as we like and know that we'll be forgiven no matter what? That's the idea behind the question that Paul anticipates in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now Paul has already alluded to the fact that some people... Uh, were suggesting that his gospel meant that people could live whatever way they wanted and sin as much as they wanted. He talked about it in chapter 3 a little bit. But now he lays out the argument plainly in view and he deals with it. Does the idea of forgiveness by grace alone mean that you can do whatever you like? Can we sin and not worry about it? Is biblical Christianity in danger of teaching immorality? That seems to be the question that Paul is addressing. And it's a question that uh, has been asked many times and has been a problem in the church's history for a long time. We would maybe know it better if you know your Bible jargon, uh, or Christian jargon rather, by the word antinomianism. People who use the grace of God as an excuse to live immoral lives. 
And it's this whole issue that Paul sets out to answer definitively in this chapter and indeed the next one. Paul's argument is very simple. Uh, Does the gospel mean we can live any way we want? No. That's it. No, says Paul. Rather, remember, he says, who you are as a Christian and live accordingly in obedience to God and not sin. That's, That's the crux of his argument. Firstly, Paul tells us that Christians have died to sin. Therefore, they can't live in it any longer. Verse 2. As a believer in Jesus, by faith, you have died to sin, both to its consequences and to its power over us. Therefore, we should not be those who continue to serve it. But what does it mean to die to sin? That's what Paul then goes on to teach verses, uh, in verses 3 to 11. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you may live a new life. Paul now goes on to explain what this means for us as believers in Jesus to have died to sin. And he explains it in terms of what we, what we term as our union with Christ. For we died to sin in Christ. If you read Paul's letters, you will find him referring to this again and again and again. He talks about Christians who are in Christ. He's talking about our union with him. That is when Christ died, we died with him. And we were buried with him. The death he died on the cross, yes, he died for us, but it is our death that he died. So as he died on the cross physically, so we died as we are united to him in his death spiritually. And baptism, that's the illustration he uses here, is the outward symbol of this union that we have with Christ. What happened to Christ therefore, is reckoned to have happened to us. So in a sense, as Jesus died on the cross, you as a Christian, if you are a Christian, died with him. And as he was raised to life again, you as a Christian were raised to life with him. You were given a new life. But what does that mean? Well, again, go back to Romans chapter 5. As a Christian, you were taken out of the reign of Adam, which results in death, and you came into a new reign, the reign of Christ that brings life. That is what Paul is expanding on here. When you become a Christian, you are united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. You have died and have been brought back to life spiritually with him. You are no longer part of the old era of sin with its consequences. Rather, you are part of a new era. You are under grace and have life. That's what happened to you when you became a Christian. From the moment you were born again, you were united to Jesus. And so his death is your death. And his resurrection, your resurrection to new life. 
Now that doesn't mean, I have to say, that doesn't mean we have all the benefits of the great resurrection at the end of the ages right now. Remember, we're in the the now and the not yet, what I've already been talking about. We have new spiritual life now as we await the great hope of physical resurrection when Jesus comes again. But now, as we live as a Christian, you have new life through our vital union with Christ. This, my friends, is a fact. This is the same for every Christian. By faith in Jesus, we are united to him. What Paul speaks of here as being in Christ. And we might add here that Paul is not making a point about baptism, be it modes of baptism, methods of baptism, or whatever. That's not the issue. He is merely using baptism, rightly so, as a sign of what takes place in our conversion. Baptism does not unite us to Jesus. Rather, it is the visible symbol of our union, which is by faith alone. But how does this union that we have then help us understand how we have died to sin? That's the question. And Paul goes on to, to answer it. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Excuse me. The old self here in verse 6 is who I was before I became a Christian. When I was in Adam, the old self was crucified with Jesus. When Jesus died, he died my death. My sin resulted in me needing to be punished. That's what we talked about with the kids. Sin needs punishment, that's its wages. The punishment is death. Death is the trump card of sin. But Jesus died my death. Sin has played its trump card. Death has been dealt out. As a Christian, you have died. But you have died in Christ. He took the punishment for you. Sin has unleashed its worst and has been firmly beaten. The result is that the body of sin, that is who I was, all of me under sin, is done away with. The old self is gone. That person has died. And the result of death is that sin no longer has any power over us. Sin has no other hand to play. It has no cards left on the table. It's played them all. It has no longer the power to punish us in death because I have already died in Christ. So I am now free, free from the power of sin. Sin I have died to. I have been freed from it. This is a fact. This is not something only for an elite few. This is for every Christian. As you sit here and now, You have died to sin. You are free from its power to condemn you to death. 
Fact. That is what happened when you believed the gospel. Fact. Before I became a Christian, I was a slave to sin. In Adam, I served sin and was under its reign. When I tried to resist sin, I was like a prisoner who jumped the walls of his prison camp before my sentence was paid for. And once sin the jailer caught up with me, I had no choice. I had to return, for my, my sentence had not been paid in full. It was not finished. But now, in Christ, it's like I've been let out of the front doors. I'm free. Sin the jailer can come after me all he wants, but he has no authority to make me go back to prison because my sentence has been paid. Paid for in full. I am free from sin's authority. Sin the jailer can still tempt me to come back. He can still try and persuade me to go back, but he has no authority to send me back. And this is the reality for all Christians. In Christ, as you're united to him, by faith in his death, we died. And so, sin's power over us has been broken. Now, that doesn't mean we won't be tempted by sin, but we are not free from temptation, but we are freed from sin's right to kill us. Kill us eternally, that is, eternal death. But much more than this, Paul goes on, we are also united to Christ, to Jesus in his resurrection, verse 8. We know that we have a certain hope of the resurrection, that we will live with Jesus in a new heavens and a new earth when he comes back again. Because Christ has been raised, he cannot now die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him, as it did when he was a human being, when he came to this world. He suffered death. He took its curse. Now it no longer has power over him. The death he died, he died to pay the penalty for sin. And that death of Jesus was once for all time, once for all people. Death is beaten and no longer can have any master, mastery over him or over us. As we look forward in this life to the great resurrection and our new life with him. But the life Jesus now lives, he lives to God. That's what Paul says. That is, he lives for the glory of God. So, says Paul in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are to reckon ourselves as being dead to sin, for we died in Christ and alive to God, for we were raised with Christ. Now, my friends, that's a lot to take in. But remember, this isn't a lot of wishful thinking. This is true. We are not being called here to crucify sin or to put sin to death. Paul will speak about that later. Rather, we have died to sin, its power. We have been raised with Christ to live a new life to God. This is what the Christian life is like. This is objective truth 
that we have to try and come to terms with subjectively. As a Christian, you have died and are now alive spiritually. And when Christ comes back again, yes, you will be made alive both in body and in spirit. There is no maybes in Paul's argument. He is teaching pure doctrine. These are things which we are to believe. You have been set free from sin. You have been freed from its punishment. You have been made alive, given new spiritual life through the work of the Holy Spirit in union with Jesus by faith alone. So that you can literally, in the, ver- in the words of verse 4, literally you may walk in newness of life. You may live to God, not to sin. So does that mean then you have a license to do whatever you desire? To sin and not worry about it? Because you're under grace? No. For the life you now have is lived towards God. And you serve him as a new master, not sin the old master. And that's the exhortion that Paul goes on to in verses 12 through 14. Therefore... Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. Paul has given us the truth, the doctrine. Now he moves to exhort us, to encourage us to live as we are in union with Christ. Live as a Christian. Live as a person who has died and has been given new life. Don't serve sin and its evil desires any longer. You're free, free from its power. You don't have to serve it any longer. You have died and its penalty is gone and you have been made alive to live in freedom to serve a new master. That is God. So rather than using your body, by which I think Paul means here the whole being, not just the physical parts, but your whole person, who you are in Christ to serve God. Offer yourselves to God as the one who has redeemed you and set you free from its authority. You're now a new creation The old has gone away and you are free because of the cross to serve God and live free from sin's power. Before you were a Christian, you had no choice but to serve sin. You had a sinful nature. You lived with you, me, at the center. You were only free to sin. You had that dreadful freedom. You were free to sin, to serve sin. Now, I read an interesting article in the news this week. Um, uh, Carrie Fisher, the actress who played Princess Leia in the Star Wars movies, well, she, she'd given an interview, I can't remember what magazine or whatever it was from, but it was a, a report about it in the newspaper. And she was giving an interview about her life, and her life has been one of uh, drug addictions and alcohol abuse and uh, everything else that goes with being a movie star these days. She confessed in this interview to having snorted cocaine uh, on the set of Star Wars. Uh, I think it was The Empire Strikes Back. 
And in the interview, she talked about her addictions that she has. And she said this, very interesting things. I didn't even like Coke that much. It was just a case of getting on whatever train I needed to take to get high. Slowly I realized I was doing a bit more drugs than other people and losing my choice in the matter. Isn't that interesting? If I'd been addicted to booze, she said, I'd be dead now because you just go out and get it. That is what it looks like to serve sin. The choice fades into necessity, and before you know it, a desire has become a need. For Fisher, she had no choice. She had to serve her sinful desires, in her own words, to get on whatever train she needed to get high. And it's not just the obvious things like addictions to drugs and alcohol. In our home group at the minute, we're doing a study on money and materialism. Um, We looked in in the second study about how often we think that money serves us, but in reality, we actually serve it most of the time. That's what sin's like. Uh, There was a World War II cartoon with a picture of uh, Hitler embracing and being embraced by a large Russian bear. And the caption along the bottom of the cartoon had Hitler speaking, and he was saying this, I have caught a bear, and he will not let go. Sin is like that. That is what sin is like. But now, but now, as a Christian, you have freedom. You are free to serve God, to live your life for God. And not your own selfish desires and wants. The new life must put God at the center, not yourself. The new life is a life under grace. Which brings life and hope of the great resurrection. Where we will be completely free from sin and its corruption. Remember, sinless perfection is not what Paul is speaking about here. Sin's power may be broken, but its presence certainly is not in this present time. We have to wait for the new heavens and new earth for sin to be completely dealt with. Yet now, as we live, we have freedom to say no to sin and yes to God, to live free from sin and towards God. And this is the wonderful truth of the gospel. You are under God's grace, Paul says in verse 14. Sin no longer is your master. God is. And so you must say no to the old master, resist sin, and say yes to the new master, and importantly, serve him. It's not enough just to say no to the old one. You must say yes to the new one. In verse 13, Paul uh, uh, talks of being, of of offering or yielding yourself to God. And the idea here behind this, this word, is uh, of a soldier yielding his sword to his commanding officer ready to use it in obedience to his commanding officer. So we offer our whole bodies, our whole lives to God as instruments of righteousness, not of wickedness. And this is not something that we only do once. This is our constant pursuit. This continues day in and day out. 
As we battle with temptation, as as sin harasses us, we must bring to our mind the truth that Paul has laid out for us. We are dead to sin. It no longer has a hold on us. We are alive to God. We serve him in freedom. And this is the normal Christian experience. Dead and being brought alive again. You have died And now you live a new life under a new master who has loved you and gave himself for you. Imagine a a servant who served a tyrant. The servant was kept as a prisoner in the tyrant's castle and could not escape. Every time he tried, the tyrant would come and beat him and bring him back into his slavery. There was no hope for that poor servant. But then a great king arrived, and he saw the misery of that poor servant and the way the tyrant treated him. And so the king went to the tyrant and paid for the servant at great cost to himself. So the servant now belonged to a new master. The old master, the old tyrant, could no longer command him. It couldn't boss him around and beat him up any longer because he didn't belong to that tyrant anymore. But now... In great joy and thankfulness, that servant worked for that great king and lived in freedom. Free from the tyrant and joyfully serving the great king who gave him his life. That's the story of the Christian life. That's the wonderful truth of the gospel. We must realize again and again so that we don't go back and serve serve sin and wickedness. For sin is no longer our master. We are freed from his tyranny and now alive. Not under law or the condemnation that law brings. Verse 14. But under God's good and amazing grace. That my friends is what the Christian life is like. Understanding who you are in Christ. And living accordingly. Not using your freedom as a license for all kinds of sinfulness. But rather serving God with your hands to glorify him in your work, serving God with your mouth to speak the truth and what is good, serving God with your feet to go where he desires you to go, serving God with your desires to love him and to love your neighbor. Because as a Christian, you are dead to sin but you are alive to God in Jesus Christ. Amen.